0: Imagine if uh, you were uh, going to go to a family gathering. All your loved ones are there. And you've always liked to be around family, right? We all do. And go up to the door where everybody's meeting. and it Seems like everybody's there. You knock on the door and they open the door and they see you. And they slam the door and say, get out of here. And you go, what just happened? Can you imagine that? Well, the Lord came down from heaven to earth. He came to his own, and his own received him not, as it says in John one eleven. And that is kind of uh, a little bit of an illustration. Something like that has probably happened uh, to us somewhere along the line. Uh, it's really the theme that Paul is dealing with here in chapter 10. And you notice that we are closing out chapter 10 today. We now have gone through 9 and 10 of this uh, section that is dealing with Israel. Uh, But it's still very applicable to all of us, isn't it? But it's good to get the doctrine and then also get that application for us too. The Jews stumbled at the stumbling stone. And, well, they did. They pursued their own righteousness, and we know that righteousness of your own is of nothing, of value. It is zero to God, and it's a stench to Him. They uh, did not come by faith, and that is the problem. Uh, The Jews as a whole did not come by faith. We know in Romans 10.4 it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness is for the believer. Righteousness by faith. Or justification by faith. Paul has mentioned that quite a bit, hasn't he, in Romans. And so I have to. But they didn't get that. They still proceeded to go after it in their own way, their own salvation. And in our text that we've been dealing with, it said, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That calling takes a preaching of the Word and believing in the Word about Christ. If you believe in Him, you will be saved. Whosoever. So God sent preachers to preach this gospel, this glorious gospel, the good news of Christ our Lord. He ordained it that way to bring the gospel to people. And to some it would be called foolishness. And of course Paul will use it that way in a, in a way that would uh, say, Okay, well uh, the wisdom of the world, the foolishness of God is much better than all the wisdom of the world, isn't it? Uh, But anyway, that's what he ordained, and we know that in verse 16 of chapter 10, it says, However, they did not not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed it? Not very many. There's only a remnant. There's a few. For the most part, they don't believe. And that's where we basically left off last week. And then verse 17, it said, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's where we left off. And so we see that Paul has a lock tight argument. He's built it all the way actually through his letter of Romans. And now we have this chapter 10. The Jews case is absolutely indefensible. They uh, cannot debate with Paul. He's brilliant, isn't he? And bringing up every argument that they're going to bring and then being able to bring scripture that they would identify with out of the Old Testament and he proves it. It is so built upon one line after another line. always like that line after line, precept after precept, uh, line upon line. We learn that way. And you know, you might hear preaching, and you might hear it for the day, and how many of these words are you really going to remember in your mind? Probably not much. You might not even remember what the title was. You may not remember anything about it in a week from now in a day from now. But you know what? It's amazing what God does. He builds upon this and you look back over the course of years and you can see how He took all of those messages that you heard, all your own Bible studies that uh, you've been uh, doing, whatever it is, fellowshipping with people, all those things add up and they keep building and building and building and all of a sudden it's like a lot of Scripture you go to. Now, why is that? Was it because of one person told you that? Probably not. Uh, maybe one person might have mentioned something and you've always kind of remembered that. Uh, have you remembered really many sermons in your, in your life? Maybe a, a bit piece? But you've got the doctrine learned. It's in your head. And it was because of over time, it becomes so much a part of you that it's, it's it's your nature, and so that's what Paul is doing here as he builds one argument on another on another, and he really wants to show them their their error. The Jews are mistaken in many things, and it's not that he wants to win an argument. That is not the case. The case is, is that he wants them to see that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to have their heart open and understand who he is and that they are totally dependent upon him and nothing else. See, they're depending on everything else. Their whole religion and their way that the people who they were born with. Paul is so precise. He's like a surgeon, isn't he? Whenever he goes into the Scripture and applies that Scripture that they know to exactly what their question is or what their debate would be. And he sticks it right into their heart and they really can't say anything after he does that. So he wants their hearts to be opened to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have that same desire for the lost, don't we? Family, friends, people around us, co-workers, whoever they may be. We have a desire. It's put into us by the Lord. And we really want those people to be saved. And we can tell them everything that we know, but yet we know it's up to God to save them. But we are faithful in giving them truth, and then God deals with that. So... uh It's interesting that it seems like most people really don't believe what you tell them. At least that's the case for me. Most people don't believe what I say whenever uh, I was to tell uh, the truth about Christ. Well, why is that? Well, there are several reasons that Paul really has put forth in our text today, 18 through 21. And we will look at those reasons, and uh, it's not only applying to Jews, but it's really to everybody. And it applies to our case, because we can say, why is it that they don't believe? I've given everything to them that they need, and they still don't believe. And we'll see some of them right here, and you'll go, oh, that's it exactly, that's where it's at. Well, we're just using what Paul did. And um, he will point to the Jews here. This, these could be religious people, for that matter, of our day. So why don't we uh, go to the text here and let's turn to Romans 10, verse 18. After he says, there will be few, a few that won't believe. And then he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Then he says, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out unto all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Well, first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Let's pray. Lord, as we enter into the very word that you've given us this word that we look at this morning we ask that you would direct your thoughts into this passage and help us get the meaning that you have in this for back at the time of Paul all the way to the time of today and then bringing it into our own lives And when we look at it for our own selves, we see such a matter of grace. Because we can be people that say we've never heard, or we don't understand it, it was not made clear to us. Or for other reasons, there may be that everybody uses. But Lord, you have made the gospel heard and very clear to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the reasons that people don't believe are right before us here today. And uh, you might have uh, heard some of these uh, before whenever people uh, say, well, you know, what about those people that never hear the gospel? What's God going to do about that? Right? You ever had that? I'm sure you have. Probably have thought about it a lot. Uh, Why? How can they... How can they understand? How can they hear? If they don't have a preacher, if they haven't ever had the gospel there, what about that? Well, as we look here, we'll get into that answer. We already kind of have throughout Romans, but he says, I say, surely they have never heard, have they? <laughs> Paul is wanting uh, and expecting, uh, what is it? They're thinking, nope. They've never heard, and Paul really is making it the opposite. Oh, they've never heard, huh? Who is the they? Well, first of all, I would have to say, because of the context where we've been, especially here in chapter 10 and chapter 9, it's Israel. But I also want to say, and not try to take it out of context, I think it immediately applies to the Israelites, but also, it also applies to Gentiles. Because the same thing will happen to Paul as he gives the gospel and not all Gentiles are going to become saved, are they? Definitely not all Jews are going to become saved. And so this is what he starts with. Surely they have never heard, have they? It's, It's both people. And it's like in the literal sense, Paul is saying this. Not that they did not hear... It's not that they didn't hear. Does that make sense? Oh, they heard all right. Now the Jew would be saying, we didn't hear it. We didn't hear that. What about those people, you know, on a desert isle that nobody has ever come to bring the gospel to them? What about those people in India? What about those people in the jungles, right? Well, it's the same situation. So how can you apply that? The the Jews had the oracles, they had the temple, they had all the worship of God, all the revelation from Him. Anyway, people might say that, but I want to tell you, this is what Paul is saying. I want to tell you something. The Gospel has been preached everywhere. That's what Paul is saying. And he's going to use Old Testament Scripture to back that up. No one can say they didn't hear. Oh, really? Uh, I debate that, right? What he's going to do, he's going to quote a psalm. Now, what's Paul been doing all through here? This is how we show the defense of the faith. We use scripture. We let God speak. And then he blesses that, and he does with it whatever he wants, but the word never returns void. And so he's going to use a pinpointed scripture for that fact. Uh, The point one here is, it is not through lack of hearing the gospel, and he quotes David or a psalm. By the way, again in this text, in these four verses today, we're going to have David, and David wrote what? Psalms. Some of the Psalms. A lot of Psalms. In this particular one, it is Psalm 19. And he's going to quote what is verse 4 out of Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is about the revelation of God. First uh, six verses is dealing with general revelation. What do I mean by general revelation? Just go outside. Look at the sun at night. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Look at creation. That is nature. God reveals Himself one way through nature. Nature itself tells there is a God. How many times have you gone out at night, look at the stars, and somebody says, Oh, my, isn't God magnificent? (coughs) It was a great thunderstorm. Lightning. And it's just lighting up the skies. And what do people say? Isn't that tremendous? That is very awesome. That's from God. Well, uh, I think just in a general sense, God has made it very clear that he created. Everybody sees those things. They are without excuse. And that's what he's saying here as he's going to quote from, as he is quoting from David here. Uh, Paul uses Old Testament support and what he's doing is he's saying how can you argue with these pinpointed scriptures? They could not. He says, this is something that I'm telling you that yes, you heard. Yes, you did. You can't ever say you didn't hear. Let's go to that passage in Psalm 19. By the way, it's (coughs) divided up into two. General revelation, and then what's the next one? It's specific revelation, that's starting at 7, verse 7, that goes to the end of the chapter. So you have, to, uh, you have to appreciate what God did in this psalm, because he says, I revealed myself by creation, or nature, and I revealed myself through the direct revelation, specific revelation, called the Word of God. Two ways. That's the two ways that God has done it. That He's shown Himself. You know, what would if been? What kind of God would He have been if He would have never shown Himself? Well, we would never know who He is, and I got a feeling we'd be lost forever, wouldn't He? But we see that He has revealed Himself. We, as Christians, see it in two ways, and so He starts in. Verse 1, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Everybody's heard that, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God. This is what life is about. It's the glory of God. And you go, wow, the glory of God. Uh, you know what the best aspect of the glory of God is? Is holiness. The holiness of God. And uh, we fear in a reverential awe of God. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Now he's just talking about their speech there. And then you go into verse 3 and it looks like he's contradicting. But he's not. There is no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard. He's saying the creation, nature, is speaking. It's just shouting out Without words, as the next verse says, does that make sense? It makes it very clear that there's a creator. Anybody with a mind at all has to say somebody had to create this. I know they have their answers for that, but uh, what they've done is they just covered up, and they know what truth is, and they come in and start telling the lies of the world—the great lie, right? Uh, so when he says no speech and no utterance and that kind of thing, no voice, he's saying not in a literal sense, but it's being spoken, right? Hearing without words. That's Look at verse 4, and here's where he quoted at right here. Their line or sound has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. What is he saying? It's everywhere. Everybody is responsible to know there is one true God. And if you believe that, then you'll also believe that there is Jesus Christ. Somewhere, somehow, He will send that preaching of the Word or whatever God does in saving people. And there were worshipers of God uh, during the New Testament time that would be considered Gentiles, but they knew that there was a creator God, and whenever Paul or the early church would go to them and preach the gospel, they would recognize that is the true God. And their heart would be opened, just like Lydia. So, that really, I think this really answers, what about those people? What about them? They're in the same position that anybody else is, uh, and it uh, everybody sinners, and they need the grace of God for them to know Him. Now, um, we saw the verse four. Did you see how that tied in with the verse that Paul is quoting in Romans ten? He says, "Oh, you you haven't heard, huh? Well, do you remember David?" In the Psalms, by the way, whenever you use witnesses, you need two or three witnesses. Paul, in this text today, uses three witnesses. He uses David by quoting the Psalms. He uses Moses, which represents the law, and he uses Isaiah to represent the prophets. The Law, the Prophets, the Writings, or the Psalms. That's what Jesus said to the Emmaus disciples as they were slow in heart and to get what he was saying. And he said, uh, you're slow in heart. Uh, and then he comes on and, and says, there, there's really the, the, the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms. And they're fulfilled. To you this day, I'm showing you that this has been fulfilled. Of course, that's ultimately Christ. In the Word of God, the, the prophecies are fulfilled. The law is fulfilled. The Psalms are fulfilled that project the Messiah as such. So that's the idea. Do you see the connection? We have we're still in Psalm nineteen. And he talks about uh, the heavens and all that's there through verse six. We know verse four is the key one, and then uh, just to give a little bonus here, verse seven then starts talking about direct revelation, specific revelation. It's the word of God. Look at this: the law of the Lord is perfect. Do you notice what what's happening here? He says the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? Well, it's the Word of God. The law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. And what does it do? It restores the soul. The next one, the testimony of the Lord. What's the testimony of the Lord? That's the Word of God. It is sure. It's a guarantee. Make. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. That's me. I'm a simple guy. I'm just simple. Don't call me a simpleton. But sometimes I feel like I, I, I was. But uh, he makes us into knowing who he is. The precepts of the Lord, that's the Word of God, are what? They are right. They're right. They're righteous. What does it do? It, that rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord, what is that? The Word of God? What is it? It's pure. It's holy. It's pristine. Clear. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether, are more desirable than gold, and He compares it to gold and honey, the drippings of the honeycomb and on through there it 's all about the Word of God that 's specific. That is the one that is weighted even over natural revelation or nature. The two go hand in hand though. And everybody has the nature delivered to them. They feel it. They hear it. They see it. All by their senses. It's there. God has done that. And so you see, do you see the connection between the first half of Psalm 19 and the second half? By the way, I'll just throw one in here. That's Psalm 19. It's about the Word of God. Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in all of the Bible, and it's about right in the middle of your Bible if you don't have study notes in the back and such. <laughs> but in the, in the writings concerned, Psalm 119 is pretty well right there in the middle. And it's the longest chapter, and everything there is about, you got it, the Word of God. Every verse, that long, long chapter is about the Word of God. So Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, you got that? And get that ahead. If somebody uh, asks you about the Word of God and what it is and what it does, and we just saw this, you know, some things of that. So he quotes from there, and he's saying the knowledge of God, uh, him being the creator, it's universal. It's everywhere. All know it. Everybody knows that. Revelation has been known to all the peoples. Nations, tongues, tribes. That's the idea. It's known to them. And you can say, really, it was to every Jew. And I think in some senses, you know, he's speaking in a, in a hyperbolic, uh, hyperbolic, I guess you could say. A hyperbole is being brought forth here. He's brought it everywhere to everybody. Usually in the Bible, when it says to everyone, it's like... Man, if you should, if you had been in a ball game last night at Jeff City where there was a, an all-star game played, everybody and Jeff City was there. Everybody was there. Now, is that true? It was all, what, 40,000 of Jeff City there? No, they wouldn't have a place to sit because it just seats a few hundred people, I would say. But uh, you get the idea. But it is everywhere. And everybody is responsible. The gospel is not hidden. Now, I've got a lot of verses. I'm going to jump ahead though real quickly because Paul, in Romans chapter 1, and has already said this, really brings forth this answer to the question, what about all the people who haven't heard And he blows that answer just uh, completely apart. He talks about the wrath of God and people suppress the truth and unrighteousness in 18. In verse 19, here you go. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Who's he talking about there? Everyone. Every man, woman, and child. They're all responsible. I know somebody could say, you know, how can you say that? There are people that haven't heard the gospel. They don't know Jesus Christ. It's never been there. Well, you start with this right here. If you worship God because you see Him as the creator and you you check out His invisible attributes, His holiness, His creatorship, His infinity. If you see that He's all-powerful in this creation, I guarantee you. We know that natural revelation does not save you, but I can guarantee you, if you believe this and you worship Him because of that, He will bring Christ to you. All across the world. No matter if you are in a tribe that has never heard of Christ, and you hear plenty of missionary stories, they'll say, Ah, you're the white man that was to come and tell us about him. We didn't know his name, but we knew who he was. You just made it clear to us and told us who he is. That's Jesus. We hear that over and over. Everybody has eternity in their hearts, as Ecclesiastes, a writer, says. Everybody is without excuse. They can't ever go around and say, Well, I never heard. They can go up before the judge of the universe and say that, and God will say, Oh, really? Paul goes right to Psalms, and he's already said it in Romans 1. So without repeating himself, he uses David uh, with, I think, some punch. And this is the idea. Now what I'm going to do is just get a few scripture about this general everywhere. In Acts 1.8 it said, you go preach the gospel. You, you will go from Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what Paul was doing. He was taking it there. But did you know it had already beaten him to Rome that was way out there? There were other places like that. But Paul went to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to them. But there were many there on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem and they heard it. There are many nations that are mentioned there. And they took it home. And they gave the gospel just like Paul did. Now, go to Acts chapter 8 verse 4. This is the... Section after we're introduced to Saul, who is persecuting the church, in the first uh, three verses. And look at verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered see, there's persecution. What does persecution do to the gospel? It scatters it. God used persecution for good. Otherwise, everybody hangs around Jerusalem. And you hang around where everybody's always been. And he says, okay, it's time to go. Time to go to Judea. Not only the rest of Judea, but all of Israel. All the way on up north to Samaria and then other most parts of the earth. And there they went. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. How can they hear without a preacher? Right? And the preacher is the one who has a message, he has the word, he has the word about Christ. That goes back to our Romans ten, sixteen, or 17, all around that area. Uh, let's keep on going and dealing with that about everywhere. Acts chapter 14 verse 15. How about those people who have never heard, right? And saying, this is the message that's given. Men, why are you doing these things? They were worshiping them. We, Paul was being worshiped and such. We are also men of the same nature as you. We're only mankind. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn, repent from these vain or empty things to a living God. They had idols. Idolatry was what they were into. But he's talking about the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's the creator. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. It's what he did. He turned his back on them just like Romans 1. Everybody had had a reveal to them and then fine, if they don't believe me, okay. And then he lets them go and they do whatever they want. And that's what's happened to this nation. He's turned his back on this nation as a whole. It's called the wrath of God. But it says in verse 17, And yet, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven. He didn't have to do that to those evil people. Fruitful seasons... The just and the unjust, he reigns on right, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Anyway, he doesn't leave himself without a witness. You know, the Holy Spirit is the greatest witness that we have here on earth. The thing is, the Holy Spirit lives in a temple called the body of Christ and also in the temple of our bodies, in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the very witness with the Holy Spirit to all the rest of the world. Guess what? It's amazing how missionaries have gone all over the world and given specific revelation of Jesus Christ. It's everywhere, isn't it? They are without excuse. And yet the church is called to go out and go to places where the gospel has not even been. Or had been and is not now. Because remember, God takes his hand off and lets the nation do what it wants. And when people, mankind, without God do what they want, they will go into absolute destruction. That is what this country is doing. You've noticed the destruction that is happening. It is going down, 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 right before your eyes. It's been doing it the last two years. It's gone incredibly fast. And will go faster. Now, Colossians 1, 5 and 6 Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, because of that hope, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, these are the Colossians, this is the Colossae church, and they had somebody come to them and preach the word about Christ. They It was preached, and they did what? They believed it. What do you do when you believe on the Lord? You call on Him. The Gospel, which has come to you just as in look at this, all the world it constantly bears fruit, but there again, what's the Colossian writer or Paul writing to the Colossians there it's uh, this has gone over all the world it's going everywhere. This is not hidden in the corner. This is brought out to everybody. You know, there's a new world government that's kind of been hiding in the corners and only basically Christians and then some people who are really into, you know, what they call conspiracies. You know, and you don't have to be a believer to believe in conspiracies that are actually true. You know, you can against somebody and it all be true. But I'm not saying all of those are true. But I'll tell you what, what I've been studying since the early nineteen eighties, and I've seen it just go further up, more people with a lot of insight, and they share it with you now. You just you can hear it coming straight from the horse's mouth that would be considered the enemy. And they are proudly boasting it what they're going to do. Before uh they just swept that under the rug. The only, you know, people like secret organizations, and the Burgers, and the—I uh, guess you could go on and on with the Masonic lodge—and uh, we're familiar with some of those, maybe. And uh, now uh, it's just George Soros. And we hear about him all over the place. Um, the thing is, is that we've got truth. Some of those things might happen, may not in our lifetime, but I can tell you that we have the word of truth, and it's all over the world, so, kind of interesting, anyway, on Tuesday night, we'll be talking about some of those things, we're in in our prophecy update, and it's going to be dealing with uh, some things that are going on just very presently, of what is been done as an executive order just within the last two months. Things that we would not have believed a few years ago. And uh, we'll get into that. That's not my point here today, so I have to move on. But I hope that just kind of teases you a little bit. And you'll say, What are you going to be talking about? We're going to be dealing with crazy things. Acts 26, verse 26. Transhumanism. Okay, let's go back to Acts twenty-six, twenty-six. <laughs> okay, here we go. For the king, this is Paul speaking to King Agrippa, as he is getting. Actually, he's on the getting ready to go on that journey. It's he's really uh, basically there, and he, he tells about his early life and. Gives his testimony and everything. And then uh, here's the king. He says, for the king knows about these matters. He knew some things about Judaism and such. The king knows. Grandpa, you know this. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner... Everybody knows about this. This wasn't just something that just popped up out of nowhere. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He appeals to the prophets. I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. (laughs) Probably says it in a humorous way. You know, Paul was persuaded... Uh, but there's the king, and he's saying, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to persuade me. He says, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The only thing is, he's not, uh, not going to buy it. Almost persuaded. You ever heard of that? It was a Puritan sermon one time. Almost persuaded. People hear the gospel, and they go, yeah, 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 and uh, even uh, agree with it. And I go to church every week, right? only thing is, they really don't know Christ, but they're almost persuaded. Scary, isn't it? Okay, uh, look in John five forty-five through forty-seven, and we're still on that topic of what about those people who've never heard? Well, five forty-five. This is about. The scriptures. It starts off in verse thirty nine. I'm gonna read all that. He says, You search the scriptures. Now he's saying this to the uh leaders of Israel. You search the scriptures, you do, you 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 know, you have the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now drop down to verse forty-four. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Did you see a key word there? glory. Their glory was to get kudos from man. And Paul is saying the glory is to go to God. The reason that we exist is for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. Boil it down to one word, the glory of God. It says in 45 now do not think that I will accuse you before the Father the one who accuses you is Moses. Now Jesus is speaking here. Paul could have said the same thing to the Jews in Romans 10 but this is the same thought. Jesus says, the one who accuses you is your own Moses, your lawmaker, the law of Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, well, how do you believe my words? How do you believe me? I'm Jesus. I'm God. But if you don't believe him, you're certainly not going to believe me. Because that was the word of God. So he... Jesus even used Moses. He quoted Moses, but it's really quoting God because it came from God, didn't it? <clears throat> and he's quoting himself. Now, uh, Luke twenty four forty four. We've got to get into that. that's the man's disciples, and I just want to take a moment or two. I think I mentioned this last week. Luke twenty four. 44 at the end uh, it says and I said these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that's what we're doing today must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and then he said thus saith the Lord thus it is written that the Christ would suffer rise again okay uh, could they say that they really didn't hear can anybody say that they didn't hear it's uh, apakuo or dealing with akuo, acoustics, or, you know, hearing. It, it's there. They're not hearing with the heart, but the real hearing, starting with the speaking of the nature creation. Right? It says all the heavens are speaking. Not audibly, right? As, as David qualified that. But... Uh, Paul says this. The, the, actually, you guys have heard. Now he goes to the second one and in our Romans text here. So we've taken one verse and we quoted David. Isn't this good, the way this is? You know, it's there's an outline right here that just jumps out at you. So the next one would be, as it says in 19... But I say, surely, Israel did not know. Did they? What's that really implying? It's really a negative. He's really saying, yeah, they knew. They understood it. Because they would say, well, it wasn't made clear. It wasn't made in a way that anybody can understand. It's way far beyond over our minds. Okay, very well. They say we've heard the message, but it wasn't very clear or understandable. Now what Paul is going to do is give a great backup verse here. He could go ahead and write new revelation, but he writes something that they are familiar with, and he's going to use the one person that probably would have been rated high above maybe all the other Old Testament saints, and there are some greats. David definitely would be, wouldn't he? Some of the prophets, like Isaiah, he's coming up next. How about Abraham? He's the progenitor of the race. Well, Moses is even revered even more than Abraham. And those Pharisees, they studied the law. So here he goes. He says, okay, we grew up for Moses. I use David. Now, I'll, I'll answer with Moses here to this one. It is clear. You know it. You know what it means. You see the Jews always boasted about Moses. Paul says, Okay, good. Let's go to it. And he does. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy is the law. 32, 21. Here he's speaking directly, uh, Moses is, of the Israelites. And he says, Moses, I want you to write this down. And so that it'll be read one of these days. Write it down, Moses. And he did. Moses prophesying here, isn't he? They have made me jealous with what is not God. They is Israel. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. God is angry. Very furious. Because of what? Their idol worship. That's what they're going to get into. So he says, so I will make them jealous. He says, I'm jealous because they left me and went for idolatry. But they are going to become jealous with those who are not a people, who's not a people it would be anybody that's not a Jew the Jews are supposed to be God's people, right? God's chosen nation so there's not a people and then he says I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation Jews would consider the Jews as dogs, fools, these Gentiles, right? That's what the idea was, is the Jews taking that idea on. And yet they were supposed to take the good news of the gospel of the glory of Christ to the world. As a whole, they really didn't do that. The apostles, who were Jews, did do that. They did fulfill. But he says, I'm going to provoke them to anger. He says, I'm a jealous God, and they have provoked me to anger, so therefore I am now turning, I will turn to the Gentiles, and it will make Israel angry. And, you know, after the gospel and after the cross, Paul was the apostle to who? The Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to (coughs) the Jews, but yet Paul would always say to the Jew first, he would go to the synagogues that were all over the known world. That's where he'd go to first and preach to the Jews. Then to the Gentiles. That's the way that it always was. That's the way that Paul did it. It did the biblical way. And so... Uh, we know now as a whole God is not in a sense concentrating on the Jews if I can say that in a human way and get away with it do Jews come to Christ yeah they still do absolutely but in, in Romans if we can just jump ahead in Romans 11 here's what's going on in verse 25 I don't want you brethren to be uninformed you know what he's saying there Agonos, or really it's to be ignorant. I mean, to, to not know. I don't want you to be ignorant of the mystery. What is that, Paul? What's that mystery? Well, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness. Till I am done bringing that gospel. It's talking about when Christ comes back. When was the time? Whenever He started going to the Gentiles. Well, the apostles were sent out, and of course, 70 A.D. You know, all the Jews were scattered everywhere. Some Jews there were remnant all the way through. And they're saved by grace just like we are. There's no difference in salvation whatsoever. They happen to have Jewish blood. But God says, I'm not forgetting about you as a people because right now there is a partial hardening to you. I'm hardening you. And I'm going to the Gentiles until that time is fulfilled. And that's why he would say uh, later on that verse 26 so all Israel will be saved and he quotes Old Testament that means that those promises that he gave to a nation he will, never, he will not do away with nations even though we will all be saved and, the, and we will all be people we're of one tribe in a sense but yet he, he it's his glory that he has different people, why did he create it that way? because that's what he wanted. He wanted boundaries and such, and he works through that, but yet there is a point in saying, I have Jewish people, and then I have Egyptians, and I have Americans and such, and look at this, they all become one in the church, but you still maintain who you are, although I don't think we're going to be pressed upon, you know, how we divide people up so much, but... That's a glorious thing in what He did in doing that. You know, and of course He gave in different languages and such. There's a reason for that because you give one people one language and it becomes dangerous. And I understand that uh, you can go on the internet and understand anybody in the world, or whatever language it is, and boom, you've got to translate right there for you. <laughs> wow, and that's dangerous. Doesn't sound like it. It can be used for good, bringing the gospel. But also, just like any other instrument, Mankind who is a sinner will always abuse, whether it be TV, Internet, you name it. Whatever it is, they'll take an instrument that is good or just it's neither good nor not good. It's it's just there. It can be used for the good, though, right? Our bodies are meant for to do good. They're instruments. We want them to be instruments of righteousness, but these bodies can also do bad things. Bad thinking and such. So, uh, what we have here is, have have the people understood natural revelation? Yes. Well, how about these Jews here? Did they understand the nature of the gospel? Well, they heard it, and in one sense, yeah, they knew what he was saying. So, they understood it in that way. And you know what natural man hates... The gospel. The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of the glory of God. If they loved it, they would be a Christ follower. They hate it. The Jews hated it. It was offensive to them. It was so offensive... That they put a conspiracy out for three years to kill this man that was healing people, that was saying words that no man had ever said. He was amazing. And, and they knew what he said. They wanted to continue to have their own religion and do it the way that they wanted it to be. And so they understood and they hated what He said. It's not that they didn't understand grace. Get this. They rejected it. They heard it. They didn't like it. They hated it. And they totally rejected God's grace. Moses prophesied this. And that's what Paul says right here. And it's a, an Old Testament proof. It's a quote from the prophets. We read that uh, make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Jesus was in the uh, synagogue preaching the message in Nazareth. And he was quoting from Isaiah and then he got to a point where, you know, he's talking about, you know, he he was actually showing that he had done the miracles and everything, you know, uh, what, what all that he had done in his life. And he says, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. And then he went on to say that God actually went outside the nation of Israel and saved people during the time of Elijah that were not Jews. Tyre and Sidon. There were people, there was uh, like the, the widow. Widow from Zarephath. Uh, Elijah, if you remember. Uh, we get that story. And that is where the people got angry. They got so angry, what did they do? They wanted to kill him and throw him over a precipice, a hill, to get rid of him, to kill him right there. That's his own townspeople in Nazareth. Do you know what he just preached about? Divine electing grace. Because he went to other people that he had chosen, and they didn't like that. They hated it. You see, they knew what he said. They were marveling at all the words that he had said before. You know, I'm here, and this today has now been fulfilled. It's done. I am him. Probably a lot of them are going, oh, wow, what what, does this mean? And, you know, they're listening, and, and then he comes up with the next thought about election. Grace. Isaiah said the very same thing that Moses is saying. Verse 19, I say surely Israel did not know did that, did they, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not by nation, by nation without understanding I will anger you. And uh, he also quote, uh, that was Moses. Now he's going to quote from Isaiah in verse 20 and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. Now he's talking about the Gentiles. Isaiah talked about this. And that's where we're getting to the next one. Now Isaiah is even going to say it more explicitly. He is building up this argument. They cannot answer. He was saying basically two things in that. The Gentiles are going to be called... And Israel is a disobedient people. That's really what he's saying. Two things. God is going to go to the Gentiles and call them. Israel, well we see later that Paul says they're going to be partially hardened. They're disobedient. They're without excuse though, aren't they? They heard and they knew exactly what he was talking about. And they said no. You know the rich young ruler know exactly what Jesus said. He couldn't do it. There are many other people, lawyers, scribes, came up to him. Said, what what is the law? What's what's the heart of it? What's it all about? And they knew what that was. But whenever it came down to who he is and the fulfiller of the law, they couldn't handle it. They didn't want him to be a gracious God. They wanted to do it on their terms, not to be humbled and bow to this man here walking on earth that claims to be God. See, that's the reason why they wanted to kill him, because he had made claims to be equal with God, to be God. Ultimately, he made claims. He actually said that he was God in those senses. Now, with that thought, we go to Isaiah 65, and actually there will be two verses, but he's going to divide those up in Romans 10 here. Isaiah 65, near the end of Isaiah, isn't it? And it's verse 1. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. They had no interest in the Creator, true God. God had already set Him aside, basically a Romans 1. And God uses nations to punish other nations, and then He punished that nation that punishes Israel, and on and on, and here we are today, and He continues the same way. But there are people out there that didn't seek Him, and the only reason they sought Him was because He sought them first. They didn't ask for Me, and so... He says that is what's going to happen Uh, It's in prophecy. I permitted myself to be found. I let myself be found. Somebody can't go out and search for God and find Him on their own. You see, God has to allow that to happen, doesn't He? And that's found in, in, in Isaiah here. Do you see the election and the sovereignty of God and the sovereign grace in the Old Testament? Absolutely. How can we miss it? Well, that's what Paul's doing here, isn't he? Uh, How can we miss this? He said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. To a nation. Who is that? That's the people outside of Israel. I did that. I do that. So now what we have in verse... Twenty And Isaiah is very bold. He says, I was found. Those who did not seek me, I became manifest to those who do not ask for me. That's right out of Isaiah, what we just read, 65, one. They thought they had salvation. It was all in the term of nations. We are the best nation. We're the only nation of God. We are His chosen people. We have confidence in that. What are they relying on upon being born in their nationality that they have? They are born Jews. We had the same thing happen today. People are born uh, in a particular church. They go to that particular church with their parents. And so they've been raised up in it. No matter whether it's good or bad, they don't check it out. It's just the thing that we do. We've always done that. My family did it. I do it now. I'm saved because I was baptized as a baby, or I was saved because I had a uh, believer's baptism, dunked in the water, and uh, so I'm a Christian because of that. And if that's their answer, I go, ooh, that is seriously wrong. If that's the only answer they have, those things can be good, uh, the things that God has put forth for us to do in the church. But uh, we have no confidence in the flesh. The Jews had confidence in the flesh. Paul, who was Saul, had confidence in the flesh. He did this, he did that. Look at this. I'm the best example there is of a true believer. That's what he would say. That's what he thought. I don't know if he went around saying that, but I think he thought it. If you looked in Philippians 3, verse 4 and 5... What does Paul say? Although I myself... He says confidence in the flesh in verse 3. And he says, now I put no confidence in the flesh. It's all in Christ. But he said, uh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh because of these things. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. And then he goes on to say that's all counted as loss. It's all trash. It was nothing. It was the works of the flesh. He had no confidence in that anymore. It's only in Christ. And so now we go to John 8. And Jesus confronted these same kind of people. They were religious. These happened to be religious Jews, but whatever they are, whatever religion they're coming from, here's the way that it goes. Now, they come up to Him, and, uh, you know, God is, is actually showing what salvation is about, and He uses parables, Jesus does, and then verse 39, the Jew says, answers says to Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you through the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Uh Uh-oh. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. So their father is the father of lies. They are of lies. They are not true. You see, they took a pride in everything that they knew and they saw the Gentiles as foolish they had all the benefits. They had the word of God, the oracles, the temple, the circumcision. It was all of that. They had enlightenment, didn't they? And look at 1 Corinthians 1.21. Paul writes this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Not through its wisdom. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message priest preached. How will they hear without a preacher? And what's the preacher going to preach? The good news of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So they can't come by that wisdom. The Gentiles were in absolute darkness when he went to them. Is that called grace? Yeah, because they didn't deserve it. They were evil people. They weren't even looking for Him and He came to them. It happened to you too. You weren't even looking for Him and He came to you, didn't He? He, You could say, well, I searched for Him. Yeah, you did because He searched for you already. He found you. So you found Him because He opened up the darkness into the light. The Gentiles were in darkness But the Jew kept the law. They had enlightenment. But they are lost. They tried to get righteousness. They tried to obtain it, and they didn't get it. The Jews, as said earlier, tried... They did not try to uh, obtain it, and they got it. That only comes from God. It didn't come from them, did they? Because they never heard it until it came to them. But they were still responsible. Salvation is entirely by God's election. So, activity of God on the part of man, for salvation, no activity. There's only one explanation when one single person has ever been saved. When anybody has been saved. It's because of the choice of God. They are the ones who will hear the gospel and believe it and call on Him because He called. It depends on His grace. That's why it's so important. God is free to choose, get this, the whosoever's because He pleases to do that. Who are the whosoever's? The ones whom God calls. Who are the ones whom God calls? The one whom he chooses to. Many are called, but few are chosen. Romans nine eleven. The whosoever is determined by God. Romans nine eleven. When you say one. Romans ten, it says the whosoever's, and that's true. Whosoever hears that, trust it. Trust in Christ. That's what I would tell anybody. I would tell the most lost person. What? This right here, I tell them about Christ and and it says, whosoever calls upon Him will be saved. I can say that to them legitimately and be right. I can't go around saying Jesus loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life. That is the weakest and most unbiblical idea of presenting the gospel I have ever heard. And yet that's what I was taught to bring forth to people. Does it ever say that once? Open up your heart. God, only God knows your heart. You're a believer, just say Jesus is Lord. You know, It's a cheap salvation. That's why you have a lot of people in the church who are really not real. But you know what? If, if they read what Paul said here and knew what it was, either they're going to run from it or they're going to say, Oh my, I've got to bow to this holy God. Look what He's done for me. But he, there He is. He's offering Himself to me. Romans 9.11, what does it say? For though the twins, that's Jacob and Esau, were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, there's no works, nothing that they had done, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand. And then again He says, it not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It's all God. And yet we can say whosoever. Whosoever. The whosoever is really determined by God and the promise is that whosoever calls will be saved. Matthew eleven twenty five. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden, look at this, these things from the wise and intelligent, the elite, you've hidden it from them, and have revealed them to infants, ones who are not many mighty, not many noble, not necessarily much anything about them. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. That's the way that he ordained it to be. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And are you ready for this? Father knows the Son, right? you got a Son knowing the Father and such. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Anyone that the Son reveals the Father to, they will know too. They will know the Father. Wow. Other people, it's hidden from. Others He reveals it to. I don't know what else to say. I know that would sound unfair to most people, but they don't get how sinful man is and why God would choose anybody, and I literally believe he's choosing millions and millions and millions all through the course of history. There will be a lot of believers there, but he also says, few there be that find it. I think there's probably going to be a lot of lost people that don't know Christ. Uh. uh Go to Matthew 20. Uh, tell you what, let's go into point number five. We we have really gone past time. <laughs> okay, the fifth one is the state of their hearts, and this is probably the one that jumps out at me. All of these things they heard and they actually understood to a point, and then we we saw that they had a f- false idea of salvation. And they failed to see true salvation, salvation by grace through faith, right? And he's been emphasizing faith all along. He emphasized grace all the way through here. And now, look at this. How about the state of their hearts? And it's found in that last verse of chapter 10. But as for Israel, he says, "...all the day long I have stretched out my hands..." To a disobedient and obstinate people. Here is the mercy of God. Grace of God. Love of God. Just keeps putting it out there. Keeps for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds centuries. That he puts forth who he is. And they're disobedient. They're obstinate. They have a hard heart. The state of the heart is probably the biggest reason for why they don't trust in Christ. They would not allow themselves to be persuaded. They would not be influenced by the gospel. They were very hard. They were stiff-necked, as Stephen said. They were cantankerous. The heart was hard. Uh, That idea, disobedient there, uh, Obstinate. You've got the thought of there to contradict. They contradict the word compared to who they're supposed to be. And there they are, Israel, they contradict the word. They are disbelieving the gospel of grace. So their lives don't line up with what the word of God is about. They are disobedient. They are obstinate. got a lot of passages there and I'm going to probably just close it here. Uh, we can always look those up later. Um, I know in Hebrews 3 it continually says, Today. Today is a salvation. And he's been saying all along that their hearts are hardened. But today is the day of salvation. So that's what we would give to the lost person. I think even our own selves, we must examine ourselves in light of what we have looked at here today. Uh, do we always want to have a willing heart to give all the praises and glory to God and everything? Do we stand back and be in awe of His amazing love and grace that He has given us. Were it not for the election of God, not a single soul would be saved. They'd be lost forever. They are saved exclusively by grace. And Paul knew that. He said, by the grace of God I am saved. I am what I am by the grace of God. Can we all say that, right? That's what it is. That's where we're at. We should want our hearts softened. Even though He has already softened and saved us, if we are trusting in Him, every day uh, when we have kind of turned on Him a little bit and we have actually sinned, we've not sought Him out, uh, we've found our own little idols or whatever it is, we must think that we must repent and we must confess that he is Lord of our lives and uh, to be sorry for that and live in a life, living a life that would be glorious to him. He says all day long I have stretched my hands to disobedient and gainsaying people. Here's what we say. As what Jesus said, he who comes to me, Jesus said, I will no wise cast out. Go to Christ. Flee to Christ. As the Puritans often said, John Bunyan, flee to him. Run to him. Now, today's a day of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the Lord will be saved. So that is what we can do with that whenever we think of the whosoevers. We can honestly say it because God has a lot of whosoevers out there. Do you think Paul has a rock-solid built case here for the Jew and for the lost of the Gentiles? I believe he does. The judge says, it's done. He has made his point, but he has more to make because the next question is then is he done with Israel? Let's pray. Father, holy, great, awesome God, we are stunned, we are dazzled by your truth. You have just given us your truth. You speak through that word. It does come audibly through a preacher's mouth, but the word in itself is the very word of you. May what we have said today be honoring to you, and may it help us give glory to you even more as you open us up to understand the truth of the ages. Others will not open their hearts, because they cannot, but they do not want to They will not, but there are others who will. And we realize it always comes back to your mercy and grace, your love. Thank you for showing that here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.